Stand for the reading of God's Word tonight. Hebrews 3. And we're going uh, verse by verse through the book. And we'll be reading, we'll be from verse 1 down through verse 6 tonight. Uh, let's begin in verse 1. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than his house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. And so the uh, Bible study tonight is entitled, Jesus is Better Than Moses. Let's pray. Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us as we see this, help us to understand it. And Lord, um, uh, this Bible study will really set up the next several Bible studies. And so for those that will be here for future Bible studies, may uh, the material be gleaned and understood in a way that uh, prepares their hearts for even uh, greater understanding of truth down the road. But then, Lord, give everybody here something tonight they can leave and, Lord, spiritually hang their hat on to be uh, more like you. Thank you for your word and what we can learn from it. Lord, no, no doubt many weary minds and bodies from working here today. And then, Lord, just from life stresses, help us to check out of those things and check into church and into this Bible study tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, I like to give this recap for all those who are maybe joining us for the first time or haven't been here in a while. If you come week after week and you've heard all the Bible studies, the first part of this will be repetitive. But I promise to break new ground here in just a moment uh, with you. Hebrews uh, was written to the Hebrews. Everybody got that? We don't know which sect or where the location of those Hebrew folks were living. Uh, Probably it was just written to the Hebrews at large. Uh, But these are folks who are uh, believers in Christ Jesus who are being tempted to slip back into Judaism. How many of you here have ever met someone you believe they genuinely got saved, but they just couldn't let... Religions of the past, they just couldn't let them go. Anybody ever know anybody like that? This book was written to help folks who Judaism still had a tug on them to maybe let go of Judaism and embrace the person of Christ. And so the author of the book, uh, probably Paul, but we don't know, more importantly the author being God, is going to address several different Um, tenets of Judaism that were held high in the Judaism faith and show how that Jesus is just flat better than those tenets and how they need to, instead of worshiping these uh, things or people or uh, groups of people, they instead just need to worship Jesus and reverence or respect what's been done in the past that's found in the Old Testament, but more hold up Jesus high. And so the book really is well written, which obviously it's the Bible, it's well written, but is well written in this aspect. You have the, the, the foundation of a truth given and then On top of that foundation, you have the structure of an admonition that is that is groundbreaking 
for for them at that time, but really for us. And so the the foundation of how Jesus is better and then the challenge of how to make that applicable to daily living. So, so far from Hebrews 1 to the end of chapter 2, the author has made it clear that Jesus is better than all of the prophets. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. Being so much, rather, uh, back up to verse number uh, 1 there of chapter 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers, by the prophets, hath in the last day spoken unto us by his Son. So Jesus is better than the prophets he spoke of in the past. He's better than the angels in verse 4, being so much better than the angels. And so chapter 1 and 2 uh, lay the groundwork of how Jesus is better than the prophets as a whole, uh, individually or collectively, better than the angels, and how because he's better, we ought to listen to the admonition of salvation. Now, chapter 3, we finished that up last week. Chapter 3, he's going to launch into how that Jesus is better than their most prized prophet, the prophet of Moses. Why would have the Israelites been tempted to put Moses up on a pedestal by himself? Well, he wrote the first five books of the Torah, or our Old Testament. He wrote the book of Job. He wrote a whole lot of what's found in the book of Psalms. And he's mentioned in every quadrant or dispensation of the Bible, even quoted by Jesus himself. And so, Moses is well esteemed. Moses is a big deal to the Judaism religion. And so, uh, Jesus, or rather the author of Hebrews is going to take the time to show how that Jesus is, is not only, or Moses was not only a good man, but Jesus is far superior, uh, to Moses. Now, what is the point? that he's going to draw out of this. And this is where we're going to get into a really interesting, and I'll even say controversial on some level, Bible study in the next couple of weeks. The rest of chapter 3 and 4, built on top of the foundation we're going to cover tonight, talk about how that Jesus wants to give rest and peace to those who live in the, in the promised land of the Christian life. There is no room... There is no room for anxiety to a Christian who has found peace. There is no room, and and by the way, if what I'm saying tonight you disagree with, please hold your judgment until we finish chapter 4. All right? What I'm going to say right now, a lot of people don't like. In fact, I've upset people in this church by saying this. So, uh, But please understand that I'm not saying this based off some psychologist I've read or based off some Internet blog. I have not read Internet blogs. I've just studied the Bible. In Hebrews 3 and 4, if you don't like this, go back and read it and study it for yourself. But Hebrews 3 and 4 make it clear that there is no room for long-term depression in the heart of a Christian who is living Within the will of God. It, there's just no room for it. Now, short, short-term depression? Maybe. Uh, a bad day? Sure. Uh, uh, a spell of, of being gloomy or having clouds hang over your head? Can you be there and still be right with God? I think you can. But year after year after year after year of living uh, depressed, if you study out chapter 3 and 4, you'll find that there is no room for that for a Christian who is living center in the will of God. Now, if you disagree with that, again, I would encourage you, before you jump to conclusions, to study 3 and 4 out for yourself and be here for the Bible studies in the week to come. That's where this is going, okay? I want to make sure everyone understands where we're going with this, what the admonition is. But before we get there tonight, let's let's back up and look at how we get there. Uh, I liken it to this. 
If you've ever watched a movie and the first 25 minutes of the movie has been boring, generally they've got to give you the boring stuff to set up the action in the rest of the movie. There's that background going on. I don't ever believe any of the Bible is boring, all right? But the hard-hitting, practical things that will come later come behind an explanation of some very key and core principles here. So tonight we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the first six verses. Then beginning next week, we'll get into the application that will hit where we live each and every day. So uh, we're going to look at, uh, try to get through tonight, we're going to, in the next 30 minutes here, we're going to look at three main thoughts out of verses one down through six. And, and just look at here about how Jesus is Far superior or better than Moses. So let's jump in here. Notice point number one, the audience of the passage. Who is this written to? Now, i got to tell you, if you don't get this down, then you're going to think that the Bible is telling you later that you can lose your salvation or that you've got to work to maintain your salvation. So make sure that our eyeballs are open, we're attentive to every word of Scripture, and we get at the very beginning of chapter 3 here who the audience is being addressed in chapters 3 and 4. Look at verse number 1, all right? When I pause, read the next words out loud. Ready? Here we go. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So who is this written to? Well, it's written to the holy brethren. Now, notice that word brethren. Brethren. Do you know what brethren means? Brethren is plural for brother. And you are a brother if you are in a family. You cannot be a brother unless you have someone who is a sibling. And that sibling shares a commonality in parent. All right, uh, John 1.12, for as many as received them, him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in, on his name. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. So what do we know here? We know that you become born again, you are part of the family of God. Romans 8 teaches that we are uh, joint heirs with Christ. Christ calls us his Brother, So, uh, please be clear here, chapter 3 is written to those who have been adopted in the family of God by believing on His name. Alright? It's very important. Once you have believed on His name, you've been adopted in the family of God, God is never going to disown you. He's never going to reject you. He's never going to push you to the side. So, who is being addressed here? Well, uh, directly, the book of Hebrews, this is being written to Jews or Hebrew people who have put their faith and trust in Christ and have become part of the family of, of God through the, the salvation of Jesus. So, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, partakers of the heavenly calling. What does it mean to be a partaker of the heavenly calling? That means that you have, again, received the calling of salvation. Remember, I believe it's Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come unto him and sup with him and eat with me. If I didn't quote that just right, forgive me. Uh, I try to be a walking Bible, but I'm far from it. So, um, uh, But the idea there is that there is a calling. You are called to come after Christ. And uh, these people have answered 
that call. Who is the book of Hebrews written to? Well, it's written to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in His salvation. So, uh, make it clear that once you are saved, you are only saved. The audience of the passage. We're going to spend most of our time on point number two. Notice our attention to Christ's preeminence. Our attention to Christ's preeminence. Look back with me, and let's read from verse 1, uh, the second half of verse 1, down through verse number 5 here, alright? Notice it says there, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him. Speaking of Jesus, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. So we're going to see a parallel, and we're going to see, or rather a comparison, and a contrast, a comparison between Jesus and Moses, and then a contrast between Jesus and Moses. Verse 3, For this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant... For a testimony of those things uh, which were to be spoken after. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, but I believe verses 1, second half of verse 1 down through verse 5 are pointing out three ways that Jesus was like Moses. Also, how that Jesus was superior to Moses. Now, to be honest with you, reading chapter 3, verse 1, rather studying chapter 3, verse 1, is the first time I ever realized that Jesus was ever called an apostle. How many of you here didn't know that either until right now? That Jesus was called an apostle. He's an apostle. I thought the apostles were sent out by Jesus. I didn't know that Jesus was an apostle himself. So I, I began to dive in and study out what the word apostle meant and how that Jesus could be an apostle. Well, let me give you an A, B, and C here. Notice letter A. He is our apostle. He is our apostle, God's messenger. The word apostle means one who is sent or a messenger who is sent. Um, I guess you could say a, a synonym for apostle would be ambassador. Ambassador. Now, strictly, I want to make sure I'm very careful with my words here. Strictly, biblical apostles were those who were sent out by Jesus and the qualifications to be an apostle was that you had to have seen the resurrected Christ and been called by him to be an apostle. There are no more apostles around today in the true, in the purest sense of the word apostle because no one has seen the resurrected Christ in his flesh. Okay, But we're going to look at this word apostle in a little bit more of a generic sense. And we're going to talk about how that Moses was of sorts an Old Testament apostle. Again, because Jesus here is being compared and then contrasted to Moses. Now, first, let me say, how was Jesus an apostle? Well, just as the apostles, uh, the disciples turned apostles, were sent out by Jesus to be messengers, ambassadors, Jesus was sent out by God from heaven to earth. So, Jesus was an apostle. He was God's apostle sent to us. 
He was God's ambassador sent to mankind. You all tracking with me here this evening? You all on board? You see where I'm going? You see why Jesus is called our apostle? Uh, likewise, Moses was God's apostle sent to the Israelites. Let's look at some verses here. Let's go back in the Old Testament and look at Moses' apostleship. Turn back to Exodus chapter 3 with me, if you will, in your Bibles. Exodus 3. This is Wednesday evening. We have two goals, really, on Wednesday evening. And that is to have corporate prayer and then also not to necessarily preach the Bible. While we might do that sometimes, more or less to study the Bible and have a better head knowledge of it. Because if we know the truth, it can set us free. Hold your place, obviously, in Hebrews Go back to Exodus chapter 3. Now, here we find Moses. He's been watching um, his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Uh, and um, uh, God is going to get his attention through a burning bush. Look at verse 1. Now, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock uh, up to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame. By the way, that Horeb is the same Mount Sinai. Horeb is Sinai. So he's at the same place where years later he'll get the Ten Commandments. Only here he's with sheep and he's going to be commissioned to go back. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now we see the commissioning or the apostleship given here to Moses. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians." And to bring them up out of the land unto a good land, uh, and a, and a um, uh, land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Mosquitoites and the Je- uh, that's not there. I'm sorry. And the Jebusites. Verse nine. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression therewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will, here's the apostleship, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So he's being sent by God the Father to go back into Egypt and to be God's messenger to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Uh, and th- listen, if you know much about uh, even today, uh, those Jews or Hebrews who hold high Israeli or Jewish tradition, boy, they make a big deal out of all of the events that took place there in Egypt. The plagues, the crossing the Red Sea, Moses is still held up and put on a pedestal and treated like a hero. Why? Because God had directly commissioned him, and again, I use the word loosely, but as his apostle to go to the Israelites and set them free. Uh, But how about Jesus? Jesus was also sent by God to the lost sheep of Israel. Turn over to Matthew chapter 15, verse 24. Matthew 15, verse 24. 
Now here we find Jesus, uh, the Syrophoenician woman, has approached him and uh, is wanting uh, her demon-possessed daughter to be healed. And Jesus is sort of putting her off to make a point. Look at verse 24, and we'll pick it up right in the middle of the story. But he answered, speaking to the Syrophoenician woman, he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now let me, let me just take a moment and explain this verse. Jesus was not saying that he didn't come to die for Gentiles. What he was saying is that my public earthly ministry is not meant for me to wander all over Gentile land. My public earthly ministry is meant to be directly to the Jews. And that's what it was. But let me be clear. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for the Jews. He died on the cross for everybody. All right. But who is Jesus sent out by? He was sent out by God as God's apostle to earth to have an earthly ministry to the lost sheep of Israel. So Moses was commissioned to the lost sheep of Israel in Egypt. And Jesus was commissioned by, to be an apostle to the lost sheep of Israel under Roman rule. Not to set them free of Roman rule. Rather to set them free from Satan's rule. To set them free of Satan's rule. So uh, uh, Mo- Moses addressed Pharaoh. Why is, why is Jesus a better apostle than Moses? Because Moses was sent to address Pharaoh about Egyptian captivity. Christ was sent to address Satan about sin bondage in captivity. So that makes Jesus the better apostle. Letter B, notice that he is our atoner. Atoner. Now, some of you are thinking, is atoner really a word? I looked it up. Atoner is a real word. All right. I verified that before I put it in in the alliteration here. He is our atoner. Look back with me at uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And look at verse number 1, the second of the verse there. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. He is our high priest. Now, later in the book of Hebrews, we will get into... The, the order of, that he's of the order of Melchizedek, that he is a divine high priest. And we'll get into all of the, the lineage and all that later. All right? We're not going to address that right now. Uh, we will in time. We're not going to address that right now. What we will address is what a high priest did. All right, Once a year, the high priest would first offer up a sacrifice for his own sins and make sure that he was pure. And then once he was completely purified and set, once a year he would go take the blood into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. He was only allowed to go in there one day a year. That was the Day of Atonement. And make atonement for everybody's sin. What was the high priest, what was his ultimate duty? Well, he had many, but the most important duty he had was to mediate for the people so that their the wrath of God would be satisfied against the people of God. And God could have peace again with His people. So, uh, God, or rather, uh, Jesus was sent to be the high priest or God's mediator. Um, uh, Moses, likewise, was a mediator on behalf of God's people. Some months ago, I preached a, a sermon that for me was a unique type sermon. I had no outline. Uh, I took you to Exodus, and I talked about Moses mediating on behalf of the people. I think some of you here may remember that message. And I talked about how Moses said, God, if you're not going to go with us, we don't want to go. We don't want to do this thing. Uh, And God was so put out with the Israelites over their sin. They're dancing around the golden calf uh, naked and 
the, the evil music they were playing and the, the idol worship and all of that that went on, that um, God was ready to be done with them. Remember the story, uh, they were shaped in, in they were put around the tabernacle in the shape of a cross. Remember this? And the, the tabernacle was at the center and Moses, to, to try to make the point, he had the tabernacle in the courtyard disassembled and had it put outside the camp. And Moses went there and stood in the courtyard there at the, at the tabernacle and he spoke with God as it were face to face and he mediated on behalf of the Israelites. Turn over to Exodus uh, chapter 32 and let's look at uh, that briefly. Exodus 32. You ever read through Exodus and think, where would have these Israelites been without Moses? You ever had that thought as you're reading through uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? I know I have. Well, Moses stepped in several times and really spared God's people from God's wrath. And uh, had Moses not had such a great um, relationship with, uh, with God himself, um, they would have been in a lot of trouble. They would have been in a whole lot of trouble. Uh, Exodus 32, look at verse 31. Here we find God is just super put out with His people. It says there, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and we talked about this, but that dash probably represents a very intimate prayer that could not be recorded in Scripture. It could represent a silence where Moses was at a loss of words. After maybe a long wait or a prayer we can't know about, he continues, And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. You look a little further down in 33, you see that the intercession or the mediation of Moses worked and that God agreed to take up the journey and again go with them and forgive them. Moses had to step in and mediate. You know, the, the Hebrew folks had this story, and no doubt they were very familiar with this story, and they held Moses high, put him on a pedestal, because Moses had done such a good job of, of mediating on behalf of them. But, but we know from here, while Moses was a good mediator, he was not half the mediator that Jesus was. Moses was able to spare God's wrath at that moment and in that time. Jesus was able to spare God's wrath on all of us for all of eternity. How much better is that? Turn over to Romans chapter 5, verse number 11. Are you still with me tonight? Everybody still awake? I haven't put anybody to sleep yet, have I? Romans 5, look at verse 11. It says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That day of atonement. You remember when Jesus told Mary, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended unto my father. You know what he did later? He told the disciples, put your hands in my prints and run your hand in my side here. What happened? Why was... Mary not allowed to touch him, but the disciples were. Somewhere in between there, Jesus ascended into heaven. He went into the Holy of Holies in heaven with his own blood and made atonement for all of mankind. 
He is the high priest atoner. And, and he didn't just stay off God's wrath at a hot moment in time. He stayed off God's wrath for all of eternity. Yeah, you can be thankful for what Moses did back in history, but we need to be eternally grateful for what Jesus has done for us to redeem us. Now, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5. That would be to the right of Hebrews there. First, no, it's not. What am I talking about? It's to the left. Just a couple of books back to the left. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5. A verse we're all probably very familiar with. For there is one God and one mediator. Between God and man. Who is it? Man, Christ Jesus. He's the mediator. Not Moses. Hey, Moses is dead. In fact, Moses blew it. You Israelites got him so stirred up. And by the way, I am not throwing one single pebble at Moses in judgment. For striking that rock the second time. I would have struck it the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth time. I probably would have struck it long before he did Good night, those Israelites were hard to lead. Um, uh, It is frustrating leading a large group of people and trying to get them all going in the same direction. You ever led an organization or or maybe just had three or four daughters? Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. It can be a challenge. Having one daughter. Amen. It can be a challenge. Uh, uh, But uh, Moses had millions of Israelites who complained at every turn. And he blew it. And because of that, he had to die in the desert. And Jesus didn't blow it. He died on the cross for our sins and mediated on our behalf. So we see how that Christ is better than Moses and that he was our apostle, our atoner. Letter C, he is our architect. Our architect. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3. And look with me at verse number 2. It says here, he was faithful to him that appointed him, speaking of God, Jesus, being faithful to God and what he was called to do. As also, Moses was faithful in all his house. So we see a level of faithfulness here. Uh, verse 3, for this man, speaking of Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. It is much as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house... For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. You know what this is saying? Moses inherited the house of Israel, figuratively, in great disarray. A good night. They were in captivity in, in Egypt, and, and the house was, had been laid flat. By the time Moses would go on to heaven, the, the next generation had been brought up and prepared to go in and take the promised land. He left them with laws. He left them having a relationship with God. He left them ready to be their own sovereign nation, with God as their leader. He inherited them in bondage, and he left them on the cusp of being a great country. And they would go on to be a great country. So Moses built the house of Israel, but God built all things. God is above all. Moses, what this is getting at, in fact, look with me at verse uh, number 5. For Moses verily was faithful in all his house. Look here, as a servant, as a servant, for a testimony of those things uh, which were to be spoken after. You know what that means? Moses, you are a tool in the hand of the master builder, and the master builder was Jesus. The hammer doesn't get to rise up in the toolbox 
once the uh, garage doors have been closed and the lights have been turned off and go, see all the nails I hammered today? Boy, I'm awesome! No, the hammer was just picked up and used by the master builder, by the great architect. Moses, at the end of his life, went to heaven, and he beheld his Savior, and he said, thank you for allowing me to serve you. You used me to accomplish that down there. So who's greater? Moses or the one who put Moses in his mother's womb? The one who guided Moses' uh, bassinet down the river to Pharaoh's daughter. The one who uh, protected Moses and got him out of Egypt after he committed murder. The one who allowed him to lead sheep and be retrained uh, under uh, the, the, the watchful eye of his father-in-law. Who's greater, Moses or the one in the burning bush, the angel of the Lord that spoke to him? Who's greater, Moses or the one who sent water from the rock, who, by the way, is the rock of our salvation? Clearly, Jesus is greater because he is the architect. Turn over with me, if you would, to, uh, uh, well, I'll quote for you Matthew 16, 18. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 11. You remember that uh, Jesus told Peter, Thou art Peter, little uh, Pedro, little rock, upon this rock, me, this guy, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, uh, this is very important that we cover this tonight. And we'll probably review it next week as we lay the groundwork for next week's uh, Bible study. Uh, but even before we get to this uh, uh, final point here that we cover this. What is the house of God in this dispensation? It is the church. The church is God's house. Alright? Your salvation is not God's house. The church is God's house. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. And remember, this is being written to a local church. Look at me verse number 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now there was infighting in the church. We've, we've talked about that other times. Uh, but again, the point is, who builds the church? It's God that builds the church, the master builder. Verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse 9, for we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye, the church. Notice there that he's not, by the way, back up verse 9. For we, that's Paul and the church, Paul writing from a remote location, probably Antioch, we are laborers together with God. Notice here he doesn't say we are God's husbandry. He says ye, hey, local church, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. He's speaking specifically about Ye, local church, being a building. Very important. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So, the church is God's building. Turn over, if you would, quickly to First um, Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. That is to the right of the book of Hebrews. I got that one right. Hebrews, James, First Peter.
First Peter chapter 2, for time's sake, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 5, catch up with me when we get there. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, uh, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye... Church also as lively stones are built up as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice accepted, acceptable by God, by Jesus Christ. Um, and so the church is this, is this house that's been built. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 3 and look at uh, verse number 5. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house speaking of the Israelites, as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house. Which house is this? This is the church. This is the church. What house did Christ build? Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The house that Christ would build and has built and continues to maintain and add on to generation by generation is the local church. That's very important as we move into the third point here. Point number one, the audience of the passage. Point number two, uh, uh, we saw our attention to Christ's preeminence, his superiority over Moses. Point number three, the appeal to preserve. Look at verse number six, the appeal to preserve. Verse six, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, the church, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now, a casual reader of the Bible comes to verse 6, and they say, oh, well then there's a way for me to no longer be part of the house. Does that mean I lose my salvation? And the answer is no. Because verse 1 makes it clear that this is written to holy brethren. And again, once you're part of the family of God, you don't get out of the family of God. Those who are partakers of, 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 of the calling, of the heavenly calling. Verse 6 is not saying that if you lose your confidence or you stop rejoicing that you lose your salvation. It says that you quit getting, and what it's saying here is you quit getting all of the advantages of being part of God's house or being part of God's Church. So, what are the commands here to take full benefit of what God intended for the church? Boy, I wish I had another 30, 45 minutes to develop this. I've got about three minutes here, uh, but we'll, we'll do what we can here. Letter A, notice, we are to hold fast with confidence. We are to hold fast with confidence. Look back at verse number, uh, verse number six here. It says, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence? Hold fast the confidence. Well, I gotta tell you, if I look inward at my flesh, there's not a whole lot to be confident about. Anybody with me there? Boy, I'm wretched. I'm vile. In my, in my best washed up clean state, I just run right back to the mud. There's not a whole lot in here to be confident about. Philippians 1-6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. And that verse is talking about the sanctification process. Where do I find my confidence? Is it in me? No. I'm not to hold fast to any good about me because there's no good in me. 
There is, there is within my flesh no good thing. There's nothing to be confident about here. What am I confident about? I'm confident that Jesus Christ holds my salvation in His hand and it can't be lost. I'm confident that I have a Savior that if I will yield my heart to Him and allow His Holy Spirit to radically transform me and let Him have control of my life, then I can be uh, everything God has called me to be. I can be sanctified here on earth in a great way. That's where I draw my confidence. There's not holding fast to me. It's holding fast to the fact that I have my salvation. And boy, i got to tell you, being part of the family of God, in the church of God, we are regularly reminded about what Christ has done for us. We're regularly reminded about how good God is and how poor we are. And we're regularly reminded that our confidence is not found in our flesh. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we lose that confidence, we have lost that confidence because we've quit walking with God. We've started walking in the flesh. And oftentimes, we've rejected the church house. And now, we don't have that boldness in the Lord anymore. Let her be. Let her be. Lastly, we are to hope with rejoicing. We are to hope with rejoicing. Look back at um, um, verse 6. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? The rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. I ask somebody, uh, do you know you're going to heaven? They say, I hope so. Well, you know what that means? They don't have a lot of confidence. Right, it's kind of, kind of, kind of, almost like I've got an outside shot, right? Um, when I was a little boy, and my mom would say to me, uh, "Wait till your dad gets home. I'm gonna tell him what you did, and you can you can reckon with your dad on this." Someone would say to me, "Is is is your dad almost home? Maybe the neighborhood kids, your dad almost home?" And on those days, I would not say, "I hope so." I would say, "I believe it so." You see the difference there? Uh, you're hoping, your hope is placed in something eternal. Your hope is placed in something that you hold on to by faith. By faith. That's what we can rejoice in. You know, the truth is, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things I accept by faith that I can't prove. I can't prove the earth was made in six literal days. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Neither did any human being. Uh, God was there. He saw it. I just have to take him at his word that that's how it happened. I didn't see Jesus die on the cross or raised from the dead. Uh, I don't know uh, by fact that he's in heaven preparing mansions. I don't, I can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, outside the Bible that Jesus is going to come back in the clouds. You know what all of those things are for me? They're a hope. They're a strong hope. And you know what I do? I rejoice in that hope. And you know what? If I take the church house away and I take my time around my brethren in Christ away, and I take my time out of God's word away, then I begin to lose my confidence, and I will quit rejoicing in that hope. And then, boy, I begin to fall backwards. No, I won't lose my salvation. I'll always be part of that holy brethren. I'll always be part of that heavenly calling, because I've answered that call. But, boy, I won't be part of that house. And so the, the encouragement tonight is jump in. Jump in two feet first and be as involved as you can. Let's have our heads. Well, let's stand to be dismissed in prayer. I hope the Bible studies a help. Again, all of this lays groundwork. I would encourage you to read ahead. Verse 7 down to the end of chapter 4. All of this lays the groundwork for God wants to give the Christian peace. God wants to give the Christian rest. 
down on the level of the soul. And so um, all of that culminates in verse 12, Hebrews 4.12, talking about the word of God being quick and powerful, dividing asunder the soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's a physical separation there, but I, I'll, I don't want to get teaching, preaching, another Bible study. I hope that's been an encouragement to you tonight. Uh, don't let past religions hold you back. Always put Jesus on the pedestal and worship Him. Let's be dismissed in order of prayer and ask God's blessing on us tonight. Uh, Jason Magnarella, always good to see you, my friend. You want to close this out in prayer?